And I'm so glad that you're here this morning with us. I, we're, we're kicking off the book of Job. Now, I, I had some people say, the book of Job, really? Oh, that's depressing. And, and uh, you know, some of the same thoughts and, and, and ideas that I got when I told people that we were going to do the book of Ecclesiastes. And the Ecclesiastes turned out a little bit differently than we thought it was. And I think we will also find that, that the book of Job is going to uh, turn out a little bit different than we, ha- than, than we think it will. Um, you know, a few things, you, you know probably a few things about Job. Um, can you find it? If you, Job is just before the book of, of Psalms, so if you hold your Bible and you uh, open it up right in the middle, that should take you to Psalms, and then if you go the book just before that, that's the book of Job. So it's not too difficult to find if you've never, not too familiar with the Bible. Um, you know, but a lot of us, we've studied the first three chapters, and we've probably studied a few of the last chapters, and then we really haven't spent a whole lot of time in between. And uh, we're going to spend the, we're going through the whole book, okay, um, this summer. It's going to take us all of the summer, and it would actually take us several years if we went passage by passage. So we're going to kind of take some big chunks. Um, There's basically 14 Sundays that we're going to spend in the book of Job, and there's a lot of text in that. And if we were to read all of that, that would be it. We'd come here, I would read from the book of Job, and we would go home. Uh, We're not going to do that, so I need your help. Uh, in order to get through the book of Job this summer. You're going to need to do some outside Sunday homework, okay? There's a, a, for further study in your worship folder this morning, there's some reflection questions there. Um, I I want you to read after today, I want you to read the first three chapters uh, when you get home or, or tomorrow and, uh, and then I want you to think about answers to these questions. And, you know, there's nothing stopping you from calling your, your, your mom or your dad or sitting down with your husband and saying, hey, let's talk about these questions. Let's, let's think about these together this week. And, and, and let's try and answer them as best we can. And then if you look on the back page down there at the very bottom, it says, prepare for next Sunday's message by reading. And then it gives you the, the passages that we're going to going to broadly brush stroke next week. Now, you know, for me, it's hard to broad brush stroke things. I mean, I'm looking at the time today going, is it possible? Um, we'll, we'll see. I may have to bail on today's outline and uh, take some of it uh, next week. But, and, and you can also see down there at the bottom that these questions, um, I didn't come up with these questions. These are a combination of questions from a book by John MacArthur called Job, Trusting God and Suffering. Uh, Thomas Nelson Publishing, and then another book by Warren Wiersbe, Be Patient, Waiting on God in Difficult Times, A Study of the Book of Job. So uh, to give those guys credit, that is, is that. Um, now, as we see subjects, and uh, Wiersbe actually starts this way in his book, he said, when I, went, when I sought to write this book, I recognized that as I pour over the book of Job, it's quite possible that God will inflict some suffering on me so that I can understand what's happening in the book of Job. And, and we need to recognize that up front. As we, as we live out faith in the sovereignty of God, we need to recognize that we're stepping, uh, or we're already standing in a battlefield. And, and it's real. The, the battle between flesh and and blood is a real one. We experience that. But the battle between the dark principalities of this earth and the heavenly realm is as real as we are standing here this morning. Um, this book of Job is, 
it's, it's not hyperbole. It's not a parable. Um, he's a real man. And, and I want to talk about that in just a second. But, uh, you know, as we stand on the sovereignty of God, um, we may experience suffering and faith ourselves if we're not already. You may be in that place right now in this moment. You may have just come through a period of time like that, or you may have one ahead of you. Uh, now, in my 55 years of life, I have experienced and I have walked alongside a lot of people who have been in, in some of the darkest moments that life could ever, could ever throw at them. Um, I've done funeral services for, for parents uh, who, who died suddenly with, with no warning. They were just gone. Husbands, wives, um, I've, I've walked with couples who miscarried or, or whose child only lived a few hours or even a few days. Moms and siblings who lost a son or daughter or brother or sister who took their own life. Uh, for a young boy who was murdered, disease, illness, I've walked alongside families whose property and possessions were completely and totally lost in a, in a fire or some other kind of tragedy, a tornado or, or even a hurricane. And I, and I have this mirror that hangs in my wall and it, long story, it, it used to be dirtier than this. I, it, it came from, it came from a, an, an art shop a block away from Bay St. Louis in Mississippi where Hurricane Katrina came onto the shore. And, and this art shop owner just had all of her stuff out on the street. And I said, hey, can I buy that from you? And, and I bought that. And it just, it serves as a reminder um, of, of what we saw down there, all of us who went down for a couple weeks to help. Um, we, we talked to people who, who, who literally lost everything. Um, they, they, they lost loved ones. They lost all of their property. They lost their home was completely wiped off the face of the earth. Um, life can be hard. I've had weeping husbands on my deck and in my garage whose, life, whose wife had just left them. I've had uh, wives whose husband just decided he wasn't happy anymore and he was done and, and he wanted out. I've sat with farmers who were possibly going to lose everything because of the actions of, of one person or because of a hailstorm or a drought. Tragedies happen and the, the plans that we have for our life and the plans that we have for our kids' life often don't turn out the way that we had them planned. We think, we, we think it's going to be this way, and, and it's completely and totally something different. And as we think about that, all sorts of questions start coming into our mind. And, and what is that one question that we almost always ask? It's why? Why? Why did this happen? And, and, and we think somehow if we could get that question answered, we would feel better. That things would be better. If, if I could just know the reason. And, and you know what? I, I hate to say it, but the truth of the matter is, even if we were given insight into the answer to that question, every time it, it doesn't and won't take the pain away. Um, you see, God knows what he's doing. And, and we simply need to trust him. 
You know, why, why does suffering exist in the world? Why did you allow this? Why did you make this happen? Why does God allow the righteous to endure tragedy when the wicked often seem to enjoy a life of luxury? Where is God in times of pain? Um, as I said, the book of Job is not hyperbole. Job was a real man. Uh, Lord Byron wrote, Truth is always strange, stranger than fiction. Hmm. And in Job's case, this is so true. Uh, Ezekiel mentions Job as he talked about God's judgment in in Ezekiel 14, 14, and 20, even if these three men, and he lists Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, the judgment, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would save only themselves by their righteousness. And, and then in James chapter 5, verse 11, um, we, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Uh, in the book of Job, we are given a glimpse behind the curtain. We, we, uh, we get to see the cosmic conversation that occurs, and, and it's kind of awkward. I mean, it's unnerving, this conversation that that God has with Satan. because I, And I always say this as I think about the book of Job. I just pray God's not having that conversation about me. Right? I mean, because we don't want to experience hard things. But the reality is we are gonna. We are gonna. And why not? Why not God having that conversation? I would hope that just as Job stood up, no help of his family, his wife and his friends, no less, I would hope, I pray that I'm able to, when, when faced with, with unbearing suffering, that, that I stand firmly on my relationship with Jesus Christ. That there is nothing on this earth that will cause me to question his reality, his love for me, his grace, his tenderness, just as James says, our Lord is full of tenderness and... <clears throat> mercy. Now, Job doesn't get to see this. Job doesn't get to see what we do. We read the book of Job already knowing what's going on. Job didn't. All Job knew was his pain and his suffering. And in the moment, as the time went by, that's all he knew. He didn't know of any other conversation that God was having. He didn't know what was going on in the supernatural. And as this drama folds out, that is the book of Job, we see an amazing life of prosperity that Job was, was living. Turn, if you haven't already, to the book of Job so that you can just kind of um, look at these places as we go through it. Job chapter 1, 2, and 3, we'll be touching on each of those. But the first thing I want to look at is Job's prosperity. Job was a man prosperous in integrity and character. Job's character. In verse 1, chapter 1, it says, This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Now, Job, of course, was not sinless. No one is. Uh, Jesus Christ was the only sinless human being to walk the face of the earth, but he was without hypocrisy and without duplicity. He was who he was, and that was a man of integrity. 
Um, The foundation for everything in his life was that he loved God and he feared God and he stood against evil. That was Job's life. Now, Oswald Chambers said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Job also did all that he could to lead his family in his faith. He he regularly purified his children just in case they had sinned or cursed God in their hearts. Once a week, he he, uh, gave um, sacrifices on behalf of his family. He was widely respected. Verse 3 says he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Job was a man of character. Job was also prosperous in his family. Job lived during the patriarchal age. Uh, We see in the text that the Chaldeans who murdered Job's servants were still nomadic and they weren't city dwellers yet. That gives us a bit of time frame. That Job's wealth was measured in livestock rather than in gold and silver. That gives us a, a, a time frame. Um, We also see that he acts in a priestly way, yet there's no mention of God's covenant. There's no mention of Abraham, Israel. There's no mention of the Exodus and the law of Moses. But he does know Adam and he knows the flood. So he probably lived sometime after the Tower of Babel and before Abraham. And he also would be known as a a man who was blessed by God because he had a large family. Seven sons and three daughters. And and we're told that they they loved each other because they they celebrated often. Birthdays, they celebrated birthdays frequently. And and at the end of each week, Job would, (laughs) after one of their celebrations, it doesn't mean that they were big party animals. It just means that Job was faithful in watching after his family. He would burn offerings on their behalf, spiritually devoted. The righteousness and virtue of Job was evident. Um, Job was not only rich in character and family, he was also rich in possessions. Um, He had land, animals, and servants in abundance. Look at verse 3. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. I would assume that a yoke is two. And five hundred donkeys and had a large number of servants. Plus, as you could imagine, all of the resources that it would take to feed and care for all of those animals and then all of the land and property that he, what does he need 500 yoke of oxen for unless he's going to use them to work the land? Um, It's even by today's standards, I think Job would be considered a very wealthy man. Yet his wealth didn't turn him away from God, did it? Um, In verse 21 of chapter 1, we see that he acknowledges that all of this came from God. The Lord Lord gave this to me. I've been blessed by God. And we see in multiple places throughout the book that he used his wealth for good and to help others. And we will see that in the future messages. Job Job would have no trouble obeying Paul's words to Timothy in in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. Write that down so that you can read that later this week. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. And then here's a summary, uh, verses 6, 7, and 18, and 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul says to Timothy. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. 
Sounds like he's read the book of Job, probably knows it by heart. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Job was prosperous in his character. He was prosperous in his family. He had uh, many material possessions, and he was also prosperous in his friends. Now, while we will see in the coming messages that, that Job's friends let him down, and I mean, if you know the book of Job, you know that they, in fact, hurt him deeply, and, and they wrong him greatly, but they were still his friends. They were still his friends. When haven't we or ha when hasn't somebody who we consider a friend said or done something that hurt us? I mean, it happens in life. But Job had these friends and, and when they heard about his suffering, what did they do? They traveled a great distance to be with him. And when they get to him, um, they sit with him for a week in silence on a trash heap in support and friendship. Uh, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Oh, if they could have just continued to do that. That's what a good friend does. Hey, I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm here with you. You know, their mistakes began when they thought they had to explain Job's situation or tell him how to fix it. We need to hear that. We do that a lot. I, I, I like to think that, that when we open our mouths and say dumb things, it, it is with the greatest of intentions. But... but so many times it would be better if we just kept our mouth shut and just were with them. Just were with them. That's a lesson that we can learn from Job's friends. So we don't always have to have the answer because many times there is no answer to have. We don't always have to try and come up with a solution. I hear this between husbands and wives all the time. You know, right? The wife, she, she comes home and she vents to her husband, long day, work, whatever, and he immediately thinks, well, I know how you can fix this. Uh-uh. Husband, keep your mouth shut. All you need to say is, wow, that was a really hard day. I'm sorry you went through that. And that's all you have to say. Give her a hug. Tell her that you love her. And if she wants your help, She'll ask for it. That was a little extra. <laughs> so that's Job's prosperity. Then in Job chapter 1, 16 through 19, we get a glimpse of the throne room of God, and we face Job's adversity. In a single day, Job had everything stripped away from him. His children, his servants, and all of his possessions, gone. Everything. And then, eventually, 
His health is taken too. King Solomon was right in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 12 when he said, Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. There, is, there, there was no question to Job what happened. He knew exactly what happened in his life. He lost everything. What he didn't know was why it happened. And we're given insight to this. And that really clears it up, doesn't it? All of Job's friends' conversations with him, all of their discussions happen without them knowing anything of what happened in the supernatural dimension. They don't know. And, and in the throne room of heaven, where Satan is, God has a conversation with him. He attacks Job's character, claiming that he is only faithful to God because God blesses him. That's the only reason, Satan says. It is highly possible that if we didn't have this heavenly perspective, we would possibly likely take the same approach that Job's friends took with a friend of ours. Right? How often do we see bad things happen to people and we think, well, if they were just a better person. Well, if they just didn't have sin in their life. Ouch. There's four important truths, and I didn't give you bullet points for these. You can just write them down really quickly under point number two. The first one is this. God is sovereign in all things. God is sovereign in all things. Period. I mean, there is no further explanation that needs to be given for that. He is and always will be firmly seated on his throne above and over all things. The angels do his will and they report to him. And even Satan can do nothing to God's people without God's permission. He has power here, but God hasn't given him all of it. And we see this description of God, the almighty, those two words, the almighty. I didn't look to see if it's one uh, Hebrew word or not, but the almighty is used 31 times in this book. Everything is under his control. A uh, second truth, and one that's pretty surprising, is that Satan has access to God's throne room in heaven. Who knew? I mean, he's there. It's a, a real conversation about a real man. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that in two instances, we see in the Old Testament where God says, hey, wh what you been doing? Satan's like, ah, I've just been roaming around the earth. And then God says those words. Have you considered my servant Job? Like, you know, the way I think about that is like, you know, uh, Satan wasn't even thinking about Job, and, and, then, and then God pointed him out. Well, we know that's not likely either. Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy all of God's people. And, and he works very hard at it. Satan has access to God's throne room in heaven. Um, and in addition to that, Satan isn't ruling the earth from hell. I mean, we see that portrayed all of the time. He's here. 
Now, he's not sovereign. He's not, he, he can't be everywhere. He's confined to himself. I don't know what sort of speed he can move around at. Um, but he is roaming around earth himself. Uh, he won't be cast into the lake of fire until the, the final judgment of God. A third, a third truth is this, that God found no fault with Job. Ingrain that into your head. God found no fault with Job. This didn't happen because Job screwed up. Now, the word Satan means adversary or one who opposes the law. And, and this is somewhat of a courtroom scene. And both God and Satan have different verdicts as it pertains to Job. Concerning Job, God said, not guilty. Have you considered my servant Job? He's righteous. He is faithful to me. There was nothing in Job's life that compelled God to make him suffer. But Satan, he cried guilty because he is an accuser of God's people and finds nothing good with us. And in attacking, attacking us, he is really attacking God. Warren Wiersbe paraphrased Satan's words in this passage. He said it this way. The only reason Job fears you is because... This is Satan saying this. The only reason Job fears you is because you pay him to do it. You too have made a contract. You protect him and prosper him as long as he obeys you and worships you. You are not a God worthy of worship. You have to pay people to honor you, Satan says to God. It's like God says, oh yeah? That's what I would say. Oh yeah, I'll show you. Like my servant Job. Look at him. Ah, he, yeah, well, okay, fine. You can take everything away from him, but don't touch his health. You can't touch his life. And, and Satan does that very thing. And then, of course, there's a second conversation. And, and Satan, again, accuses, oh, well, if you put a hedge around him and you, you, you're protecting his life. If, if, if he didn't have his health, he would for sure deny you. And so God's like, okay. Just don't kill him. And, and we see how incredibly tough life was for Job. Um, and, and, and then Job's friends. Job's friends were in the same camp as Satan, really. Right? They, they told him that he needed to be a better man and that if he was a better man, then he wouldn't be experiencing all of this trouble in his life. So they're like agreeing with Satan. Um, the basic reason Job was suffering, however, was to silence the blasphemous accusations of Satan and prove that a man would honor God even though he had lost everything. And shouldn't that honestly be who all of us are as a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't care what you throw at me. I'm not, I'm not turning my back on my Savior Jesus Christ, period. You take my stuff, you take my children, though I don't want you to, you take my health, you take my life. Not turning away. I am not turning away. And it's when we say things like that and we believe things like that, that's when the challenge can be on. 
God knew. God knew Job. God knew Job's heart. God knew Job wasn't going to turn his back on him because he loved God. He loved God. But his friends wanted him to invent some sin that he had committed because, and he, he, he didn't do it to his credit because if he had, he would have played right into the hands of the accuser. But instead, Job held on to his integrity. He said, no. God gives, God takes away. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. A fourth truth, and it's a huge one, is that Satan can only touch God's people with God's permission. Satan can only touch God's people with God's permission. And, and when he allows it, we need to remember that it is for our good and for his glory. It's hard to trust God in those times, isn't it? Because the pain and the hurt is, is just so real. But we can, in fact, trust God because he is God Almighty. He is a sovereign God. He is the sovereign God, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, and perfect. Never makes a mistake. Ever. We can never think, oh, well, maybe he didn't think about this. or maybe. Yeah, he did. Trust me. Do you ever wonder if God has an idea occur to him? Think about that. Does God ever have an idea occur to him? I mean, like for the first time. I say no. I say no. Because he just knows it all. Job's prosperity, job, Job's prosperity, Job's adversity, and now let's take a look at Job's faithfulness. I think all of heaven and hell was watching to see how Job would respond at the loss of all of these things. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, it, it might be irreverent, but they, were, they had their bag of popcorn and they're eating and they're just watching, waiting to see what Job is going to do. I, he naturally grieved like any human being would. Um, God understands that. God understands us. God knows us. He, he understands. And when we grieve, we, we grieve, but, but we don't grieve without hope. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who think that all is lost and, and you know, that person is gone forever or whatever. Um, there is so much hope. We, we have hope. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. Jesus himself knows grief. When, when his friend Lazarus died, we are told that he wept. He wept. His heart was broken when Lazarus died. And, but even in the midst of Job's grief, he responds in worship. He declares his faith. Look at verse 21 of Job 1. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away 
And his next words were not, woe is me. It was, may the name of the Lord be praised. Because it doesn't matter what happens in my life or in yours. He is sovereign. He is our God. Job acknowledges his humanity. He, he recognized that all he had was given to him by God. His, his life, all that he had, all, all he could be, Job was simply a steward of it all. We are stewards of the things that we have. We are stewards of our children. They are blessings from God, and we are to raise them up in, in him and send them off. And Job recognized that if God wanted to take away any of this at any, of the, at any point, well, that was his prerogative. That included the very breath that Job breathed. And in the midst of all of this, Job looked up, didn't he? He was not living life only under the sun. And instead of blaming God and instead of cursing him as Satan claimed he would, Job worshipped the Lord. The words of our closing song today are going to be a personal declaration of this same faith. And I, I hope that we all can sing it and mean it. That's, that's where the rubber of faith meets the road, the, the road of suffering and pain, isn't it? What is our reaction and response in this going to be? And, and we worship God and, and celebrate the faith that Job had. Uh, look at verse 22 of chapter 1. It says, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. He didn't blame God. May we all be prepared to respond to things that in, in life that happen to us with Faith, refusing to listen to the lies of the accuser and any other friend or family member who he uses to try and speak those lies into our ears. Because, I mean, it's really challenging, isn't it? Because sometimes we, I mean, we want to trust the people that we love and sometimes they're not right either. May we rest all that we are, heart, mind, soul, and strength on the, on the broad, all-powerful, almighty shoulders of our sovereign God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Job's prosperity, Job's, Job's adversity, Job's faith. And then next week, because I want to I cover this well, we're going to look at Job's misery. Okay, because I want to get to this last thing. Um. Zach Bennett needed some help with a funeral that he's been asked to do in a couple weeks. And so he came in to my office and, and uh, I shared with him, it's, a, it's for a young man who committed suicide. And, and uh, we were talking through a, a service that I had done for somebody else and, and uh, how hard that is. And, you know, we never understand and we don't have answers and we never will. And, and, and we need to, to, to try not to seek those answers because there are none. And, and in that conversation, uh, he shares his testimony with me, which I have never heard before, I, I guess, unless God just blanked it out for that very moment. And, 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 and his testimony starts out 
kind of literally with the book of Job. And, and I'm like, dude, can you come share that exactly like you shared it with me just now? We need to hear this story. So Zach's going to come and share his testimony, and then we're going to end with a song. So uh, it begins the, about the, the time that I uh, first get to meet Jesus. And I, I head off to LCCC as new college student, and I, I find this wonderful, spectacular lady. And we, we quickly become intimate, and we spend, you know, numerous hours and numerous times together, and about two years into the relationship, she, she decides that, you know, <laughs> what we're doing is not what God wants us to be doing. So we, we find a church, and it's the Cowboy Church Cheyenne Cowboy Church, and we uh, go to church, and she decides that, you know, we need to stop doing the things that we are not supposed to be doing, and which in turn means we still sleep in the same bed, it's just not anything else, which is like, all right, well, okay. Um, as as we're uh, driving back and forth to Cheyenne, and uh, one day she asks me, "Have you ever, uh, you know, accepted Jesus into your heart?" Oh, come on! I'm from Wyoming. There's God. He's around. Jesus is here. Yes, He's around. And she goes, "No. Have you ever accepted Him into your heart?" No, I haven't done that. So somewhere between Chugwater and and. Uh, Cheyenne, we pull over in an exit, and I, I accept Jesus into my, my heart. And, uh, you know, that, that didn't really change a whole lot. But um, within that, that year, she, she looks at me and goes, Zach, you know, I, I love you with everything that I have. I just don't see us together for eternity. For, forever. Like, I don't, I don't see it together. So I don't want to ever lead you on, but I love you. And, you know, so I'm like, well, I can live, love her through that. Like, come on, got this. So it was uh, about, um, it was about three years in there that I, or two years, I, I got my brain balanced. And we can talk more about that, but helps me to be able to, to read. And I, she would, like, read the Bible every night. I'd just sit there and listen until I'd fall asleep. And then I'm like, okay, I want the same Bible that you have so that we can read it together. And so this was about four years into our relationship, and she gets me my Bible before Christmas. Well, then we're going to spend a month apart, and I, I get the Bible, and <laughs> I'm, I'm driving home from Cheyenne, and I run across an old job site that my boss is working at, and I'm like, hey, you know, 
do you need some help? So I, I get a job, and I haven't had a job in a while. So I, I start working for him, and I, I walk into the house, and I, I get my new Bible. You know, I, I get this new Bible. And <laughs> where, where does one start? So this would be where my father-in-law said, Zach, you were looking for a job, so that's where you stopped in the book of Job. No, that was not it. It was because my mom, my mom was a Job's daughter, so I, I don't know enough about Job. Let's start in Job. David, new believer, comes to you and says, hey, what book should I start with? Not, not Job? You mean when you open the Bible to the center and it comes right to Job? And you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to start with Job. So I, I am into Job about 21 days, which allows you to get into the real, like, like you, you, you get Job at about 21 days into Job. And I get ready to leave Cheyenne, or leave Wheatland, headed to, to Cheyenne because we're meeting for church. And if you, I, I get out onto the interstate. And about that time, I got, you know, I got a little jingle in my pocket. I haven't had money in my pocket forever. Got money in my pocket, and I hit that, the interstate, and I go, have that inner, inner piece of going, I am. I am going to be okay if she's not part of my life. Like, first time that I really felt it, I mean, I, I, I love her through that. First time I felt she's not in my life, I got this. I got this. I hit Chugwater, and if you're coming from, we meet in Laramie, we talk in Laramie, I'm in Chugwater, she's in Laramie. I hit Chugwater, and I don't get a phone call. And I'm like, really? Really? Like, how is, like, I just, I just had this feeling that I'm going to be okay, and, and you're going to take her away from me. <sighs> okay. Well, so I call her mom, and she hadn't heard from her either. And keep going, and I'm just about to Cheyenne, and I, uh, I get the phone call. Hey, I had car trouble. I'm 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 gonna be a little late. Gonna be a little late. But that's all right. We'll we'll be okay. So I go to church, and after church, I call and ask the boss for one more day off. So I took Sunday off or set Monday off, which allowed me to like go and buy a dozen roses and pork chops and beans, you know, like real all-out meal. And so I get to our apartment and I hide all the flowers all over the place and cook her dinner and she comes in and we have dinner she has finds all the flowers and we lay down and the next morning she's going to go for a horse ride and as she's going up the stairs she stops and says hey thank you for making coming home or coming here so special and she, she went up the steps and headed out for her horse ride. So I got up and cleaned the horse pens and got ready for, for her to 
do her things for the week. And about that time, her horse comes over the hill without her. It was an accident, horse accident, and the horse came over on top of her and broke her neck. And just like that, my life changed forever. Because... Um, as I started reading the book of Job and looking back on the, on the book of Job, Job lost everything. I mean, as David pretty well mapped it out for us, he'd lost everything. I had, and, and still praised God. I had just lost my best friend in the whole world. And if Job can do it, so can I. And it was about two days later that I, I, alone in my room, and I looked up and went, okay, God, I don't know what this looks like. I have no idea what this is. But I'm in. I'm in. If Job can do it, so can I. So here I am. Thanks, buddy. Bob, you can come on up here. Um, worship team. You know, if you know the book of Job, you know that in the end, God blesses him again. And I don't know what that looks like for each one of us in regards to suffering and pain and difficulty that we have in our life. But you know, you look at Zach's life and he's a wonderful wife and four children and uh, is just serving God and, and God is using him in the lives of others and kids and, and uh, whatever God wanted to do, he did. And, and your response, like I said earlier, I pray that that's mine too, that it's all of ours. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you because you're sovereign. And I'm in. I mean, let's stand and let's sing this last song that, that, that basically says everything that we've been talking about, um, that we worship God in those hard times and we worship God in those good times.